If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to James chapter 3. I believe it's page 1072 if you're using one of the church Bibles. And uh, we will begin. Uh, There is a difference, as I'm sure you know, between education and wisdom. Uh, If education is being smart in the head, wisdom then is being smart in the way that you live. And with that definition, it's pretty clear that some people have one and some people have the other. Uh, Some people have both. And unfortunately, some people have neither one. Uh, They are connected, uh, but they are not necessarily correlated. Uh, Everybody knows of... uh, of a marriage counselor perhaps who uh, has experienced a divorce. Everybody knows of an accountant who has gone bankrupt. Everybody knows of a doctor who uh, maybe doesn't take care of her own body or a Bible scholar who is not faithful to his wife. You can have education and not have wisdom. Uh, It has been said that education allows you to take things apart, uh, but wisdom is what enables you to be able to put things together. Uh, Education would be about knowing the facts, but wisdom would be about knowing how to make the right decision. So which do you think is better? Is it better to have education or is it better to have wisdom? Uh, Now, thankfully, we don't have to choose between the two. And Often when someone is passionate about one, he or she will be passionate about the other one. But if you had to choose, which would you choose to pursue? Wisdom or knowledge? Wisdom or education? Which one uh, should capture our attention? Which one should we be focused on? Well, I think common sense tells us uh, that wisdom wins that debate. And if you're a wise person, you know... That wisdom is what you ought to uh, pursue. Uh, if you get to retirement age, which would you rather, which thing would you rather be true of you? Uh, that you are an expert at the stock market, uh, that you are an expert at, uh, at derivative investment strategies, but you have no money? Or would you rather be the person who doesn't even know what a derivative is? Uh, but you have been careful throughout your life to live off less than what you made and you have put back a nest egg that'll make you comfortable in your retirement years. Which would you want to have, uh, knowledge or wisdom? Uh, Would you rather be an expert on interpersonal relationships and the sociology of contemporary tribes or would you rather just have a few really good friends? I think common sense tells us that wisdom is to be preferred over education if we had to make a choice. And I think the Bible tells us the same thing. In fact, in Proverbs chapter three, verse 13, the Bible says, happy is the man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding. For she, speaking of of wisdom, for she is more profitable than silver and her revenue is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can equal her. The Bible says wisdom is most important. So how do we gain wisdom? How can we be more wise? Well, 
We've been spending our summer in the book of James, and today we come to the middle part of James chapter 3, and we find the answer to that question, how do we become wise? How can we embrace wisdom such that it will change our lives? So let's read together. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. The Bible says, who among you is wise in understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. And so there he says that there's an ethical component to our wisdom. If you would like to be wise, let that be seen in how you live. Wisdom isn't just knowledge. Wisdom has to do with how we live. And then he goes on in verse 14. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without pretense. Here he tells us how it is that we can gain wisdom. Let's look at this piece at a time. Step number one, if we want to gain wisdom, we must filter out worldly wisdom. If we're going to gain wisdom, if we're going to be wise people, first we have to filter out the wisdom of the world. If by wisdom we mean guidance, the, 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 the GPS for our lives that tells us how it is that we should live, if that's what we mean by wisdom, then this passage tells us that there are two kinds of wisdom. There are two different kinds of GPSs that will guide you through life. One, he says, is worldly wisdom, and the other is godly wisdom. And so either your GPS is going to be the GPS of worldly wisdom or the GPS of, of godly wisdom. Now, I want us to go back and look at the verses we just read because we should be careful to see this. Look at verse 14 again. He says, but if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart. So bitter envy means that you so desperately want something somebody else has. Selfish ambition means you have your desires in life and nothing is more important than what you want. He says, if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Now let's skip verse 15. We're going to come back to it and look at 16 because it says something very similar and then it adds an important point. He says, for where there is envy, so we've seen, see the word envy again, and selfish ambition, we see that again, there is disorder in every evil practice. Have you ever wondered why some people have lives that are just filled with chaos. Have you wondered how some people, their lives becomes just such a mess? Well, here he tells us in this verse, every evil practice and disorder is in their lives because they have followed this worldly wisdom. If you follow the wisdom of the world, it will end in every evil practice and disorder in your lives. Now look at the verse we skipped, verse 15. Such wisdom does not come down from above. So this is not wisdom from God that does this, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So what we've got to understand is that 
is that there is a battle going on around us. That, that Satan, this worldly wisdom, that, that Satan is trying at every turn to deceive us, to confuse us, to send us down the wrong path, to get us to make bad decisions about our marriage, bad decisions about relationships, to make us make bad decisions in our career or our ministry or in our attitudes. Satan is constantly working on you. He is constantly giving you this wisdom, giving you this this demonic direction to throw you off the path that God wants you to be on. And if we're going to be wise people, the first thing we've got to do is just recognize that there's so much worldly wisdom around us and learn to be sensitive to that. The, the Bible uses some important language, I think, to highlight this. Listen to these verses. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be alert, for your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Now, that, that describes this battle that we're in. And, and, and so it says that Satan is around every corner. He's behind every tree. Every time you make a decision, there he is with worldly wisdom trying to confuse you and distract you and deceive you so that you would make a wrong decision in marriage and life and, and child rearing and, 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 and job and career and finances and health and in everything. He is actively pursuing you this worldly wisdom is all around us. Uh, listen to Ephesians 6.11. Paul says, put on the full armor of God, which means you, you better get suited up for battle so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil has schemes for you. I mean, that ought to frighten us a little bit, that the devil has a file folder with my name on it. And in that file folder, there are 34 steps for how to ruin my marriage. There are 14 steps. It's got Mark McClendon's name on it. 14 steps to ruin Mark's reputation. And there's a file folder with your name on it. Satan is smart and he has a strategy. And he's working to bring worldly wisdom in your life to derail you from God's path so that there would be every kind of evil and disorder and chaos in your life. If you go down just a few verses there in Ephesians 6, verse 16 says, in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. He is shooting arrows at me and at you to get us off the path. The Bible says, Jesus said in John 8, 44, that, that Satan, when he lies, that he speaks his native tongue. He's lying to you. He's lying about every area of life. And you hear it through the media that you're exposed to, oftentimes through even the people around you. You hear it through the thoughts in your head. You hear it through the things that you read. You hear it through the advertisements that you look at. All around us, we're getting this worldly wisdom, and it's seeking to derail us. If you're a teenager, I'm telling you, there's all kind of worldly wisdom. And if you're not sensitive to it, It'll, it'll put you on the wrong path. If you're a young family and you have a young marriage, Satan has a strategy to destroy your marriage and he's given you worldly wisdom to get you off track. All the time, every one of us, we face this. And the scary thing is, we are so prone, without even realizing it, to having our behavior and our values even 
influenced by things around us. I don't think we even recognize how much of what we say and what we do and what we feel is, is we allow it to be determined by just the things around us. One of the, one of the things that happened when I moved to Ohio, I lived in Alabama and, you know, grew up in the South and God moved me to pastor a church in Ohio for 12 years. And when I got up there, I, I, you won't be able to imagine this, but they said I talked funny. And I remember it was, I had just, my, maybe my second or third message I preached there, I told a story about, you have to listen closely to this, about how I carried my wife to the store. And they laughed. I mean, I could hardly finish the, the, the service. They just could not get over that. They, they were wondering afterwards, well, did you have to tie her up first? I mean, what? You know, did you carry her in a wheelbarrow? Did you throw her over your shoulder? What do you mean you carried her to the store? I was so embarrassed. And so I worked really hard not to ever say I carried anybody anywhere unless I actually did carry somebody somewhere. And, and so I was, I mean, I really was embarrassed. And so I worked hard at it. And after that, I don't think I ever said it again until about a week ago. And I was talking to somebody here and I was talking about a little trip I had taken recently and I caught myself telling them that I carried a couple of my girls to the beach. And as soon as I said it, I see, we have, we, we are influenced. I mean, that's not perhaps a sin. I haven't said the word y'all yet. So I mean, that would be a, that would be a sin. But, but how we are so subtly influenced by our environment. Now, worldly wisdom is all around us, and, it, and it's exerting a subtle influence on us. And I just don't think sometimes we realize how susceptible we are. We sang, uh, Austin led us on a Sunday night a few weeks ago in singing the song, Power in the Blood. Were you here that Sunday night? It was so funny to me. And I love that song. But I think, I've pastored now in, um, in four states. And I think you could blindfold me and carry me to a state <laughs> and leave me blindfolded and let me hear a church sing that song. And I could tell you what state I was in. <laughs> you see, in the state of Mississippi, the way you say power in the blood is par. There's par in the blood. There's par in the blood. And I heard that, I learned to sing it. There's par in the blood. Now, you move over to Alabama, and it's still just one syllable, but they soften the A. There's par in the blood, par in the blood. You can almost imagine a second syllable, but it's not there. There's par in the blood. Now, here in Texas, uh, you have about one and a half syllables in the word. It's par in the blood, I noticed. There's par in the blood. And we sang it, and Austin and all of the people around was laughing up here, and now, it doesn't fit the melody of the song, but in Ohio, there's two full syllables. There are two full syllables in the word. There is power in the blood. There is power in the blood. And somehow they make it work. So we, we, are, so, we are so influenced by our environments. And the problem is when we get influenced without realizing it by the things we watch on television, the things we read, even the people sometimes that... that are around us and it changes our whole way of thinking. We, we have to filter, we have to be sensitive to worldly wisdom and filter it. 
I spent a few hours in somebody's home two or three weeks ago. Um, I, was, I was out of town. And th- these people have much the same values that I have. We have many things in common, but politically, we are just absolutely on opposite sides of the fence. And so we don't talk about politics, or I don't talk about politics, and when they bring it up, I, I try to change the subject because it's oil and water. But I was sitting in, in their home for a few hours, and we were talking just about stuff, but in the background, the television was on one of these 24-hour news stations. Now, it wasn't the news station that I ordinarily would have had on in the background, but this was the day that there were, I think, three Supreme Court rulings that all came down the same day. Do you remember that? And the people on this television station, they didn't like any of the three rulings. And they were going crazy. It was like their pants were on fire. They were yelling and screaming. They were just having a nervous breakdown on the television. And they were saying all kinds of very vindictive things. And so while we were having the conversation, I'm listening to this in the background. But you know, after a few hours of that, I, I understand now why these people have a completely different political view than I have. If I listened to that for hours every day, I would think the same things that they think. It is, it is the environment around us, if we're not careful, that will determine how we think about things. We must learn to filter this worldly wisdom. Listen to Psalm 1-1. We're not going to show this to you on the screen yet. We're going to come back to it in a moment, but just listen to it now. The, the way the book of Psalms begins Happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. If we are not sensitive to the worldly wisdom around us, it will lead us to every form of evil, as James 3 says, and chaos in our lives. If we learn marriage and commitment from watching The Bachelor, Uh, If we learn intimacy by looking at pornography, if we get life coaching from Oprah Winfrey, uh, if we learn contentment from watching home renovation shows, I want to hit where everybody lives, if we listen to worldly voices for how to move from depression to joy and from anxiety to peace, if we learn our mission in life from Joel Osteen, if, if we will subject ourselves without being sensitive to the wisdom of the world, uh, it will destroy us. We must be very sensitive to the battle that is going on around us, the subtle satanic strategy to poison our minds. Now, let me just give you a little bit of a, a bonus here. Uh, this is a book somebody gave me years and years ago, right after I became a Christian. It's a fiction book. Uh, by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. Anybody ever heard of this book? Anybody ever read this book? Uh, this is probably the best book I know uh, for, to help. It's entertaining, for one. It's very interesting. It's a fast read. Uh, this, this, though, is the best book I know to help you be sensitive to the strategies of Satan to destroy your reputation, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your children, to destroy your ministry and your walk with the Lord. And so I commend this book to you. It is still in print. Uh, this one's from, the, from a long time ago, but uh, you can buy this in any bookstore, I'm sure, locally. 
uh, the screw tape letters. So the first thing, though, is we must filter worldly wisdom. The second thing we need to do if we're going to be wise is we must look up for true wisdom. We must look up for true wisdom. Look back at James chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom from above. And so the, the godly wisdom is from God. It's, it's above. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits. We must look above. If Satan is actively trying to deceive us, if that is true, it is also true that the Lord is actively trying to lead us. And we have to make a decision every day whether we're going to be tuned in to God's leadership in our lives through the Holy Spirit or if we're going to default to the worldly wisdom that's already around us. We have to make a conscious decision about which one we're going to focus on. Now, I want to go back to Psalm 1. We, we looked at the first verse a moment ago. We're going to look at that again, and I want you to see the next two verses because here we see the pieces of this come together. So again, Psalm 1, 1, look with me on the screen. Happy is the one who does not walk in the advice Pardon me, the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. That's worldly wisdom. Listening to the sinners and the mockers, that's worldly wisdom. Now look at verse two. Instead, so instead of worldly wisdom, here's the other option. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. Now we're going to come back to that verse in a moment. But look at verse three. Here's the result of wisdom. I love this. He, the person who chooses godly wisdom instead of worldly wisdom, he is like a tree planted by flowing streams that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. That's what happens if you have worldly wisdom. I want to be like a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in season, whose leaf never withers. I want the success of God in my life and a person who will have worldly, I'm sorry, godly wisdom instead of worldly wisdom, that'll be true of his life. Now let's go back though to verse two because here is, uh, here's how we do it. Instead, verse two says, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He says that there are two actions. Look at that verse, two actions that we take if we're going to look up for godly wisdom. We will delight and we will meditate. Delight in God's word and meditate in God's word. Now, the difference between doing that, delighting and meditating, and what people ordinarily do with God's word, there's a very important distinction here. I think when I look back on my Christian life, since coming to know the Lord, I've been exposed to a lot of godly people, and godly teaching, and I think the biggest error in my Christian life has been failing to see this distinction that I want to show you. To look up for godly wisdom doesn't just mean to study God's word, it means to delight and to meditate in it. See, that's what he says here. Delight in God's word and meditate 
in, in God's word. You see, when we study God's word, and studying God's word is important, it's very important because it can form the foundation of wisdom. But when you study God's word, it makes you smarter. When you study God's word, it, it, it gives you the ability to explain theology. It gives you some understanding into how this compares to this and this relates to this and the organization of this book of the Bible and the whole Bible. And, and so when you study God's word, I mean, there's a great benefit to that. But, but studying God's word by itself just makes you smarter. What we have to do beyond just studying it is we have to meditate on it. We have to take God's word and we have to press it up against our lives. We've got to think about not just what does this say and how does it relate to other passages in the Bible, but what does this say and how does it to relate to my life? What does this say about my attitudes? What does this say about about the things I'm doing? What does this say about my motivations and my dreams and my hopes and aspirations and my fears? We have to meditate. So the difference in studying is we're trying to gain information. The difference between studying and meditating, studying is gaining information, meditating is, is seeing how that information impacts our, our lives. I, am, I have a, a swimming pool at my house. Uh, ask me in one more year if that's a good idea or a bad idea, and I'll tell you. But I, I have a swimming pool at my house, and I'm still learning. I've never had a pool before, so I'm still learning how to, how to do this. Uh, but I'll give you a little swimming pool education, okay? So I have a pump that uh, pumps the water out of the swimming pool, and it pumps it into this valve. It's a big valve. Um, I know a little bit about it because I broke it, and I had to buy another one. Uh, but this big valve that has uh, five holes in it. And so the water comes in one hole and then there's a lever on the top. You can make the water go out in four different directions. So it comes in one place and it can go out different places to accomplish different things. Now, if you take that lever and you put it on something called recirculate, then what happens is that pump pulls the water out of the pool all the way up to this little pumping area and it just send it right back to the pool. It just recirculates it. It doesn't do anything to the water. It doesn't change it. All it does is use a whole lot of electricity, a whole lot of energy, make a lot of noise, and put the water right back. It just recirculates it. So I think that's what a lot of us, and this is a danger in every good church, okay? A good church is a church that has high regard for God's word. That's a good church. I mean, there are other things that are part of being a good church, but they all stem from having a high regard for God's word. So in a good church, we focus on studying the Bible, and we should, but it creates a danger. And oftentimes people are just recirculating God's word. They're reading it, they're analyzing it, they're sending it out. They're reading it, they're analyzing and sending it out. But I can take that multi-port and, and I can move that lever around to where it says filter. And then when it takes that water that it pumps up out of that pool, it forces it through about 50 pounds of sand and it changes the water as it goes through that sand. It, it changes something. See, what we must do if, if we're going to have godly wisdom in our lives is we can't just study God's word. We can't just, it can't just recirculate through us and nothing changes. No, we have to press God's word through the sand of our lives such that it changes us. Does that make sense? And so if we're going to have godly wisdom, 
Uh, absolutely, we've, we've got to be sensitive. We have to filter out worldly wisdom. But we have to meditate. We have to look up for godly wisdom so that it can make a difference in our lives. And then there's a third thing that we can do. I want you to, if you have your Bibles open, turn back one page to James chapter 1. We skipped to these verses in our study of the book of James. Uh, but we did so because I planned to come back to them today. James chapter 1 verse 5. He says, now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. This is an interesting passage. It tells us, I mean, just in the shortest uh, paraphrase, that if you, if you need wisdom, ask for it. God will give it to you. Trust him. That's what it says. The way that people have understood this passage through the years has changed. One of the things that, because of modern technology, that I'm able to do today that pastors couldn't do 20 or 30 years ago, or couldn't easily do 20 or 30 years ago, is I can take a passage of Scripture, and then I, I can search through hundreds and hundreds of years of uh, what pastors have said about that passage. And, and I can pull that out very quickly and I can just read through there and sort of see how, how people have understood a passage differently through the years. Does that make sense? And so I don't always take time to do that. don't always have time to do that, but I did this week. And so I took this passage and I, I have uh, in, in, in this electronic library, I have thousands of sermons, tens of thousands of sermons preached in the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. And so I, I had it searched for these verses, references to these verses uh, amongst uh, English preachers, English speaking preachers for, for, for 400 years. And as I pulled that out, I, I, I noticed that we have we have changed our understanding of this verse through the years. The way people understand this verse today is that for the most part, we just need to occasionally pray that God will give us wisdom. And then we just need to have this trust, this, this generic mystical trust that God will do it, that God will give us wisdom and, we just, and then we just go on with life. But that's not how they preached it 400 years ago. The way they understood it, and I think this is more faithful to the text, that this is not about an occasional prayer, but this is about a moment-by-moment -moment conversation with God, seeking direction for what we say, what we do, and how we feel. That moment-by-moment, moment, I'm talking to God, God, what should I do? How should I think about this? Am I losing my cool? Do I have the right attitude about this? Am I going to say the right thing? That we carry on this moment-by-moment moment conversation with the Holy Spirit. We're staying in step with the Holy Spirit. And that, and, that the, and that the Word of God promises us that if we'll do that, He will give us, uh, he'll give us wisdom. He'll give us direction. Now, with that in mind, let's look at it again. Verse 5. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom... Is that any of you? I mean, that's all of us, right? He should ask God. So we, we're in this constant conversation with God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. God delights in giving us direction. 
You know, you know, I'm a dad. If my girls ever call me and say, dad, I'd love to get some advice. I mean, dads, isn't that like the greatest thing you could ever hear, right? We want our kids to ask us for advice. You, God delights in giving you counsel. So he says, he, he gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given. Then he says, let him ask in faith without doubting. Now, what does it mean when he commands us not to have doubt? That doesn't mean what, what we think it does. It doesn't mean you just need to try really, really hard to trust and not doubt. That's hard to do. If I were to tell you that there is a 60-foot-tall dinosaur in the parking lot trashing all of the cars out there. Now, do you believe that? No, I know you don't. <laughs> You're not going to hurt my feelings. Uh, you, you don't believe. So, so what if I were to tell you, you, please try hard not to doubt me. I mean, could you not doubt? No, you're going to doubt. You, you can't really control your doubt. What he says here when he, what, what he means when he says here, don't doubt, is he's, he's talking about obedience. He, he's, he's not talking about God will give you some information that you can have an opinion on. He's talking about God will give you some, some instructions and you need to be obedient. The opposite of doubt is not belief. The opposite of doubt is obedience. If, if I were to say to my child in front of a hot stove, don't touch that stove, it's hot. Don't doubt me in that. What am I saying? You need to obey me. I, I'm not just giving you information for your, for your amusement. I've given you some instruction. Here's what you should do. And so what it means here when it says that if I have if I need wisdom, I should ask God. I should be carrying on this conversation with God. And when God says something, I should be obedient to it. I'm not to have an opinion about it. I'm just to be obedient to it, moment by moment. You know, the difference in, I think, the contemporary way of understanding this verse and the old way is the difference between a compass and a GPS. And so if I had a compass here and, uh, and, and I was talking to somebody here that uh, could give me some directions with this compass. And I said, how do I get from here to New Orleans? Well, we could, we could hold that compass and we could look some things up on the map. And the compass would tell me that New Orleans is that way. Okay. Now that didn't help me. Much. I think it's that way, but I, that didn't help me much. Does it? I mean, I can't just get in my car and start driving that way. But if I have a GPS, what does a GPS do? A GPS doesn't just say it's that way. The GPS says, turn right on North Street. Go 30 miles, turn left when you pull into Lufkin or however you get to New Orleans. It, it would give me step-by-step -step directions. And so this doesn't just mean that once a week or once a month, you pray that God gives you wisdom and then just trust somehow that happens. No, this is every step of the way. God, what should I do? You're carrying on a conversation. First Thessalonians 5.17 says to pray continually. Carry on a conversation with God. God, what should I do? Give me direction. Holy Spirit, guide me. God delights in doing that. And he will give you directions every step of the way. You know, the other interesting thing about a GPS is you know, it only gives you one direction at a time, right? I mean, I guess, you know, fancy GPSs, maybe you can pull up a whole list, but, but I mean, that GPS, it just, it, it, it doesn't tell you the, the, the 45 turns you need to make. It just tells you the next one. See, that's how God works. He's not going to tell you what you need to do three weeks from now. He's going to tell you what you need to do now. He's going to need to tell you what you do now. 
The problem when we are unwise is not that the information is not available. It's just that we're not listening. Moment by moment, we need to be in communication uh, with, the, with the Holy Spirit. Yesterday, Don and I were, last night, coming back from Tyler. And um, I've, I've lived here a year and a half. I still don't know how to get to Tyler. My GPS takes me a different way every single time. There must be a hundred ways to get from here to Tyler and back. So, so I'm just, I'm following the GPS, loosely following the GPS like a lot of men do. And uh, so we're, we're coming back and Donna interrupts my, uh, my talking and she says, you know, I, I think you, I think you missed a turn. And so I, I looked down at the GPS and sure enough, she was, she was right. Uh, it was now telling me to turn on this little dirt road that was ahead of us somewhere and find a way, find a way over. Um, but you know, the reason I missed the turn was not because the GPS wasn't telling me the reason I missed the turns because I wasn't paying attention to what it was saying. If you will pray without ceasing, if you will walk in step with the Holy Spirit, he will guide you. Filter out, filter out worldly wisdom. Let's meditate on God's word, press it against our lives. But moment by moment, let us be asking for wisdom so that God will, God will guide us. Now, I want to end by just sharing with you an encouraging word. As I prayed through this, and, and how this applied to my life, the Lord reminded me of an Old Testament story, a historical account, really. It's in 1 Kings chapter 3. Um, it's uh, the story of Solomon. Solomon was the third king of Israel. And uh, when he became king, God said something to him that is amazing. God said, Solomon, I'll give you anything you ask for. What do you want? And Solomon thought about it. And Solomon said, there's one thing I want. Make me wise. Make me wise. And God smiled at that answer. And God said, I will and more. And in verse 12, this is what God says to Solomon. I will therefore do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so that there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. I wonder if that offer is still available. Wouldn't it be something if, if I could just pray, God make me the wisest man on earth and God would just do it. I mean, if wisdom is the key to marriage and ministry and reputation, and uh, child rearing and finances. And if, if, if wisdom is the key to everything, what if I could pray? What if you could pray, make me the wisest man on earth? Do you think God still offers that? I think he does. Jesus said in John 16, 13, these words. And he's, he was talking to, to his disciples, but he's talking to us. He said, when the spirit of truth comes, that's the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will give, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. The Holy Spirit of God, who knows all, 
who has all wisdom, who has the wisdom of God. The Holy Spirit of God is right here in me. And the Bible says that God delights to give me wisdom through his Holy Spirit. You know how far I am away from being the wisest person in the world? You know how far I am away from that? As far as I am away from making a decision that I would moment by moment listen for the words of the Holy Spirit in my life. That's how close we are to being fully the wisest person around. We, you know, the internet's changed how we have information, right? You, you don't have to be the smartest man in the world, you just need Google, right? Uh, you, you don't have to be, you don't have to know, know a lot, you just need Wikipedia. I mean, you ask me a question about the, the, the most obscure thing. As long as you give me 15 minutes, let me run back to my office, I know the answer, right? I mean, the internet's changed because in, in the internet we have, I mean, this is an exaggeration, but in, in the internet we have all information. Isn't that something? You, you know how smart that makes us? Well, in the Holy Spirit, we have all wisdom. Always. There's not one piece of wisdom that's not searchable and the Holy Spirit lives in my heart. If I would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, filter out the world's wisdom, meditate on God's word, but be sensitive moment by moment with the Holy Spirit, I can be wise. Now let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. I wanna say two things to you. And I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes because I, no, no distractions, these are just so important. So just as still as you can be. Number one, the Bible tells us that the wisdom of God is Jesus Christ. And so, the, so this starts with having a relationship with, with the Lord through Jesus Christ. If you do not have a relationship with Christ, if there's not been a time in your life when, when you have put your trust in Jesus because he paid the penalty for your sin and that's the only hope, you know that that's the only hope you have and you have surrendered your life to him, then the rest of this is mute because you do not have the Holy Spirit in your heart. You do not have access to all wisdom. It starts with Jesus Christ. And so we'll stand in a moment and pray and there'll be people here in the front. I wanna encourage you just to step out and take somebody's hand here at the front and privately say, help me have a relationship with Christ because that's the beginning of wisdom. Now many of us here today, we, we do have a relationship with Christ. No, no question in our hearts, no question no question at all. But we have failed to filter the wisdom of the world and we're just being tossed like a, like a, a wave back and forth. But maybe you have realized this morning through this passage that you have the ability to be the wisest person, to have all wisdom in your marriage, to have all wisdom in your, with your children, in your finances, in your ministry, would you make a commitment today to the Lord? Ask for the Lord's help that you would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's guidance step at a time. Father, make us wise. Make us wise. 
for your honor and glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's